Shalom Aleichem and welcome back to Sefer Maccabim. Last time, we learned how Judea experiences a golden age while Shimon is the ruler. Now we're going to see how the Greeks, even after Judean independence had been declared, how they had the nerve to invade yet again, and how Shimon rebuffed them both verbally and physically. You'll remember how back in chapter 13, after Trifon took Yonatan prisoner, he murdered Alexander's son Antiochus and crowned himself as king. But he proved to be such a horrible ruler that the people revolt from him and want Demetrius to be their king instead. Just one problem, Demetrius is being held captive in Persia after his failed campaign against the Parthians. However, he does still have family within the empire. His wife Cleopatra, his children who are living in the city of Seleucia, and Demetrius's brother Antiochus. The thing is, recognizing that they could represent a threat to his rule, Tryphon has ordered that Demetrius's brother Antiochus not be permitted to enter any of the major cities. So, had Tryphon's forces been loyal to him, they would have made sure that Cleopatra and Antiochus would have had no contact with each other, because Cleopatra is living within the cities in the Seleucid Empire, and Antiochus is not allowed in. But as we mentioned, Tryphon is an awful ruler, and every day more of his soldiers are defecting to Antiochus, who is seen as the replacement of Demetrius. Eventually, Cleopatra is able to send a letter out to Antiochus, in which she invites him to marry her and take over the kingdom. Antiochus goes to fight Tryphon and wins a great victory, following which Tryphon flees to the port city of Dora. Antiochus follows him and traps him in the city by besieging it on three sides with soldiers and with a blockade of boats on the seaward side, preventing anyone from entering or leaving. It's expensive to maintain such a siege, and Antiochus sends ambassadors to Shimon requesting an alliance, hoping that Shimon will assist him with this siege against Tryphon. Shimon is happy to oblige, not least because Tryphon was the one who murdered his brother and sent a large quantity of provisions to Antiochus, as well as 2,000 soldiers to aid him. So you'd hope Antiochus would show a little gratitude. But no such luck. You may remember how back in chapter 11, Demetrius, brother of Antiochus, requested Yonatan's help in the fight against Tryphon and promised great rewards to follow. But after Yonatan sent soldiers, who won the fight for Demetrius by shooting arrows from the rooftops, Demetrius went back on his word and started harassing the Jews. Well, Antiochus follows suit. Despite the assistance Shimon affords him in besieging Tryphon, Antiochus does a 180 and becomes Shimon's enemy. He sends one of his friends named Athenobius, who meets with Shimon and delivers him the following message. You have in your possession Jaffa and Gezer and the citadel in Jerusalem, cities of my kingdom. You have laid waste their borders and played great havoc in the land. You have taken possession of many places in my kingdom. Now then, hand over these cities that you have taken, and the tribute of the places outside the borders of Judea that you have appropriated. If you refuse, then give me instead 500 talents of silver for the damage that you have done, and for the tribute of the cities, another 500 talents. Unless you do this, we will come and make war on you. Sound familiar? Athenobius is basically telling Shimon, you stole our land. You illegally conquered that which rightfully belongs to Seleucid Greece. Now either return the land to us or pay us a shed load of money, or else we're going to fight you. So, what's Shimon's response? He takes one look at Athenobius and says, Haha, good one! Alright, he doesn't actually use those words, but he gives a firm and comprehensive reply, explaining why, in fact, Athenobius is completely wrong. The text reads as follows. Shimon replied, We have neither taken foreign land, nor do we hold dominion over other people's territory but only over the inheritance of our fathers from which we were unjustly banished by our enemies. And now we have seized the opportunity to return and hold the inheritance of our fathers. Shimon tells Athenobius, 
that this land, in fact, does not belong to Seleucid Greece. It was originally part of the Hebrew kingdom of First Temple times. The Hebrews were unjustly expelled from it by Assyria and later by Babylon. And now, 300 years later, they have returned to liberate what is rightfully theirs. Shimon clarifies the Jewish position to the enemy and professes his people's commitment to the land and also demonstrates a willingness to fight for it. Now, believe it or not, Shimon's example does actually have a precedent. In Parshat Chukat, the Torah tells us how in B'nai Israel's last year in the Sinai Desert, when we were approaching Eretz Israel, we conquered land from the Amorite king Sichon, who attacked them when they tried to peacefully pass through his territory on the way to the land. This territory was originally owned by the nations Ammon and Moab, then it was conquered by the Amorites, who were then conquered by B'nai Israel, and that land on the east bank of the Jordan River was settled by some of the Shabbatim of Israel. Now the Haftarah of Chukat, taken from Sefer Shoftim, tells us how 300 years after that conquest, the king of Ammon comes to Israel and sends a message to Yiftach, who is the Shofet leading the Jewish people at that time. And he tells Yiftach, Yiftach, you stole our land. You took land owned by our forefathers when you left Egypt. Now return these lands in peace and we won't have to attack you. It's the land for peace argument again. But Yiftach sends messages back to the king saying, you have no right to these lands on the eastern bank of the Jordan. We never conquered them from you, we conquered them from Sichon and the Amorites. Furthermore, we've now been living in these lands for 300 years. If they're clearly so important to you, why did you not come before now to claim them? I have not sinned against you, but you do wrong to make war against me. May Hashem judge today between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Note Yiftach's last words. May Hashem judge today between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Implying that Yiftach and the people are ready to fight if necessary. The king of Ammon doesn't listen to Yiftach and invades anyway, but Hashem is with Yiftach and Ammon are swiftly defeated before B'nai Israel. We see here how the Torah teaches us the proper approach for responding to our enemies who make accusations against us demanding we return their land. Firstly, we do have a duty to explain our position, our history on this land, and why we are here. And importantly, to show we are genuinely committed to Eretz Israel and are willing to fight for her. If our enemies still don't listen and declare war on us, then we have free reign to go out to battle and fight them. But the Torah here is teaching us that not only is there value to explaining the Jewish narrative to non-Jews, there is a responsibility to do so. Bear in mind, I'm not talking about shallow Hasbara talking points that try to paint Israel as a Western democracy with drip irrigation and gay rights. I'm talking about sharing our genuine message, speaking about our roots in this land and our eternal commitment to her, how we were unjustly expelled by our enemies and returned against all odds, about authentic Jewish identity and our people's historic aspirations, what kind of society we are here to create, and yes, what role the Palestinians would also play in such a society. We do have an obligation to articulate our position on the battlefield, whether it be on college campuses or in global politics, articulating the Jewish position serves a twofold purpose. Firstly, it reinforces our convictions and strengthens our resolve. For when we see our leaders calmly and confidently articulating our position in the face of either an invading army or a political onslaught, we are encouraged and reminded of the inherent justice of the Jewish struggle for settling the land of Israel and constructing a society which will serve to elevate all of mankind. There is no struggle more just than ours, but we need to understand what we're fighting for. And when we hear our leaders articulate it for us, this strengthens us to keep fighting. The second purpose achieved by effective communication with the non-Jewish world is that there are many righteous Gentiles who are genuinely committed to pursuing justice and fighting for the oppressed. And if they understood our struggle, they would fight alongside us. But because they aren't informed, they don't. 
because they aren't given all the information. And perhaps that's our fault. The situation in the Jewish world today seems to be that there are Jews who recognize the need for effective communication with the non-Jewish world, but aren't connected enough to Jewish history to accurately portray us. And there are Jews who are deeply connected to Jewish history and committed to our historic mission, but scorn the need for communication with the outside world as a weakness. The Torah's lesson is that you can't have one without the other. We need more Jews, especially young Jews, who are deeply living in Jewish history and committed to our national mission of elevating all mankind, but are also able and willing to communicate that struggle to non-Jews in a language that they can understand. Returning to our story, Athenobius does not respond to Shimon's reply, even one word. Perhaps he's too angry at Shimon's defiance. Perhaps he can't think of anything to say. But in any case, we know he's extremely angry because he returns to Antiochus and relates Shimon's reply. And the king becomes inflamed. Now, just like the king of Ammon over 850 years previously, Antiochus declares war. He gives over his entire navy, as well as a large number of cavalry and foot soldiers, to one of his generals named Senderbas, with the instructions to enter Judea and cause as much damage as possible, with specific instructions to fortify the town of Kidron and use it as a base from which to launch further attacks. In the meantime, Antiochus would pursue Tryphon, who has somehow slipped through the siege of Dora and escaped northward to Apamea in modern-day southwest Turkey. Antiochus eventually catches up with Tryphon and kills him. So, General Stendabas journeys south to Yavna, near the coast, pitches camp, builds up the city of Kidron, and stations a garrison of soldiers there. And he begins to take local Jews captive and to slay them. He's really making trouble. Shimon, of course, just like Yiftach, is not going to take this lying down. And in the next chapter, we'll see how he responds.